Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O'White or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader, and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult, and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to episode 23 of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is RJ Ganti. RJ is the Chief Executive Officer of a company called Sarco. Uh, RJ is a management graduate from the London School of Economics, and he's been serving as CEO for Sarco since 2010. Established in 1977, Sarco is today a leading company for marketing, distribution, retailing, and projects of electronics, home appliances, mobile phones, IT hardware, office automation, luxury lifestyle, and air conditioning solutions. Sarco is a part of Almana Group of Qatar, which is a highly rep, uh, reputed, uh, reputed sorry, and leading business house in Qatar. RJ is an innovator, a shaper, an effective manager due to his team skills and, and organizing execution capabilities. He has successfully worked with Indian and multinational organizations in India and abroad. His adaptive nature and high nervous energy have made him a success with startups, turnarounds, as well as steady state organizations. Currently, as I said, he is the CEO of Sarco and has worked with organizations like Electa Golf, <laughs> Sony India, and Kitchen Appliances India, Kenstar, in the last 28 years. And he's met success at all places due to his ethics and hard work have no alternative motto. Looking forward to asking him about that. <laughs> RJ is an entrepreneurial, innovative executive with extensive business and management experience within highly competitive markets <laughs> and fast-paced environments. Uh, there's a lot more, but what I want to do, I guess it's worth mentioning that he has been uh, listed amongst the 100 most influential CEOs in Oman in the September 2018 issue of Oman Economic Review, a leading business magazine, also an active member of YPO, formerly Young Presidents Organization, a global network of young chief executives with approximately 24,000 members in more than 130 countries. But I'm really looking forward to ask RJ about some of his uh, achievements, which I'll let him uh, talk about and, uh, and a little bit more about Sarko. So RJ Ganti, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much, Janu. Uh, thanks for a detailed and comprehensive uh, description. I, I mean, I sounded like a star the way you were describing me. So uh, I got <laughs> energized and enthused. So thank you so much. <laughs> well, uh, it would be great for you to give us a bit of a picture into the world of Ardre Ganti. What does it look like <laughs> to be CEO of Sarco? Tell us a little bit more about Sarco and uh, what you were saying to me before about you know how many staff and, and I guess what the organization looks like as part of a wider group and also about your role. What does it look like to be a CEO of Sarco? Yeah, sure. So, uh, what is Ajay Ganti? I mean, I I am as normal human being as anybody else out there, but uh, I have been mm, fortunate enough uh, uh, because I've got different opportunities in life. Having said, uh, Sarko uh, in Oman is one of the oldest companies. We were established in 1977. Yeah, we specialize in distribution, retailing contracting and AV integration. 
And the products which we cater to are primarily consumer electronics, home appliances, uh, uh, IT hardware, mobility solutions, uh, large format displays, uh, luxury watches. So uh, to, to just summarize that, we, we specialize in distribution. That means we distribute these products uh, in the Sultanate of Oman across uh, the length and breadth of Oman. Oman, just to give you a perspective, Oman uh, is in terms of size is approximately as big as Italy. Yep. In terms of landmass, uh, and uh, we we we've, uh, have a coast uh, running down from the touching Indian Ocean and Arabian uh, Sea. Uh, so that's that's the and we are the mouth to the Gulf region. Um, as far as Sarco is concerned, we are an organization which has about two hundred and thirty. 240 professionals, yes. uh, which comprises of uh, sales, marketing, uh, engineers, uh, technicians, uh, uh, accounting executives, uh, uh, IT, uh, uh, infrastructure maintenance executives. Primarily, these are the kind of skill sets we have. And I've been in Oman for the past 15 years, and all 15 years I have been with Sarco. And uh, I joined them in 2006, September, and I was promoted as the chief executive in two, year 2010. Uh, that's about brief as far as Sarku is concerned, what has been my journey. Uh, I am entrusted with the responsibility of making this company profitable for any shareholder, what's their goal. So, so I have been entrusted with the responsibility of uh, uh, conducting a business which is ethical, which is... Uh, futuristic, which is growth oriented. And at the same time, it makes a lot of money uh, to be more precise. And uh, yes. the, the biggest assets I've been having is, of course, is to develop the resource, I would say the talent resource, which we have mm. uh, and holding them uh, uh, with with the vision, which has been uh, promulgated by the, the shareholders of the company. So that's the basic objective I have uh, at Sarko. I, I presume that should cover, give you an idea about what do I do and what, what Sarko is about. Yeah, thank you. That's a great introduction. And I appreciate you sharing a little bit about Oman for those who might not be as familiar with Oman. And great to know. Uh, thank you. That was really helpful about the size of Italy in terms of having a picture uh, of Oman, how it sits in terms of as a landmass. Tell us about RJ's story. How did you, you can go as far back as you want to, you know, to when you were even little. What, what's been your story for you to end up being the leader you are today, RJ? So I'll, I'll, I'll rewind a bit. I'll just start off with uh, something, you know, I've, I've uh, experienced as a child. So mm. I am basically from India, so I have been. I was born in India, and uh, I'm an immigrant. I mean, and I, I currently reside in Oman. Of course, I'm not. A, I'm still a citizen of India. Uh, so when I was growing up, typically, uh, and most of uh, my generation in those times in India, uh, the career options of those times were, you know, once you're done with your schooling and colleges, your career options was primarily either you become an engineer or a doctor or a scientist. And if you've not succeeded in these three professions or you've not been able to manage to get into one of these professions, you were practically taken as, as an outcast. And, wow. and it was typically a service-oriented approach as far as careers was concerned. 
and very less of an entrepreneurial uh, mindset or the ecosystem which was there. At that point of time, uh, although, uh, I, mean, I don't know, it, it, I'm just trying to give a story which, which which is closer to my heart. But at that point of time, I always thought that what I am studying or what I've been getting schooled about is something which I, whether I'll be able to apply in my life or not. So I, I did, I was not a very great, uh, I would say, student as an academic guy. But yes, I used to enjoy subjects which, which I could apply in life. And I, I did a bit uh, in that scenario. I mean, I was kind of a rebel and having coming from um, and, and those days, tech, I, mean, I would say uh, the technology boom was not there. I'm talking about the late 90s, late 80s and early 90s. Uh, so I was not a techie guy, but I had an entrepreneurial mindset. Yes. And I started my journey by uh, work, started working very early in life by picking up small time jobs uh, as a salesman in, in different retail shops, trying to learn how to deal with the customer. The customer engagement was something which used to give me a kick. And that's how I started my journey. Uh, and uh, started growing up the ladder, started understanding the retailing and the distribution landscape in mm. India. Yep. And that's when I was given this opportunity and I was picked up by, uh, and this just happened. I, mean, I never applied for the job and I just, one of the uh, senior executives of the company saw me operating in the marketplace and he found uh, me pretty, uh, I would say, good resource so he asked me to join the uh, his company which is one of the biggest groups in india in those days called videocon group so they had started a new venture a new company which was uh, getting into small time domestic appliances and they wanted somebody to handle their delhi market and i joined them and worked with them for a, a couple of years and then uh, having succeeded there uh, I ended up with Sony, which was again by accident. Uh, I met one of the regional managers of Sony in one of the marketplaces and he was impressed by me and he offered me a job. And that's, I think, was the turning point of my life, uh, joining wow. Sony in India, which is which was one of the leading companies in consumer electronics. I worked with them close to about six and a half, seven years, close to about six and a half years. Uh, I learned a lot of things. I grew up, but and and anybody's dream working for a multinational getting a good salary getting you know uh, having a rosy designation was something everybody looks at and people tend to become comfortable uh, and i was probably at the age of 28 29 and i was i thought myself what am i doing here you know whatever job i am doing i've learned a lot uh, what is the next thing i'm going to do so the only thing which i'm going to gain right now is uh, some some more dollars, I would say some more rupees and a much fancier designation. But whether my presence or absence is making difference to the organization or not is something which, which is very, very important to me. That's when I realized if I remove this tag of Sony mm. from my resume, will I survive or will I collapse? Yeah. And I started searching. So, and I was doing pretty well in Sony. I was growing. And I got an offer uh, from a Dubai-based small-time company, which is an OEM company in, in, in 2004, which is trying to expand into the African market. And they, they gave me this opportunity, why don't you take up the role of their international business 
in expanding their uh, uh, brand across the continent, different continents. And it was a relatively small company from a cushiony job moving to a small time company, which was devoid of systems, processes, is was like taking a huge risk. But what I believe at that point of time that this is the time which I need to test myself. So I had two things uh, at my uh, which were at my advantage. One was age. Mm. I was young enough. So I yeah. would take the risk. Two uh, is that I would learn certain things by doing myself rather than, you know, uh, going through the textbook processes, which has already been said by somebody else. So from being an executor, I thought I'll become a creator uh, in terms of processes, in terms of systems, in terms of uh, uh, strategies, in terms of vision. Yes. And I took the risk and my boss, I remember, called me up and said, why are you leaving? I just promoted you. I said, no, uh, I've had, this is what maximum I can learn. Uh, the only thing which is going to grow is I'll probably handle a bigger size of business and bigger team of people. Uh, but uh, the, the applications will remain the same. So I need to apply myself differently and see different uh, conditions. So that's when I took a jump and, and moved to Dubai, uh, traveled extensively and realized Wow. That world is not that easy. <laughs> uh, I, I used to travel for uh, three, three weeks in Africa, started like from the scratch, tried to build up, understanding the markets, new country, new people. It was a great experience. It was kind of rebooting yourself and going to the basics and relearning, or I would say recharging yourself because every five years, 10 years, the marketplace, the consumers, the demands, the needs keep changing. And when your ears are to the ground, that's when you realize what exactly is the pulse. Invariably, what happens is when you're working in a cushiony job, yeah. you lose that pulse. And that's when I realized. And uh, having worked there for two years, I was dropped in. I got a couple of offers. And this is something which, you know, at that point of time, when you're getting good offers, it's very difficult to refuse the good ones and the cushiony ones. <laughs> and uh, I was given another choice when I was given an opportunity here in Oman uh, for a company which was uh, been there for quite some time since 1977, but was going through a tough phase in, 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 in business. And they were uh, looking at a transformation in the management. And then I was offered the job of a general manager. Uh, it was not doing well. It was not a very well-known company at that point of time. And the business was relatively... Uh, very low uh, in terms of the volumes what we were doing. But what I decided at that point of time, then all my life, I was a sales and marketing professional. But I had never had the exposure of being a general management person. So I thought this is an opportunity no company will give me because normally you get this kind of a opportunity only when you grow up high, high up the ladder in an organization. And that's when probably among the few you'll get the opportunity of uh, managing the whole show, not just being responsible for, for sales or marketing, that's it, but a holistic experience was important. Though it was a small company, yes. I thought it's my term for learning. So they say all the universities, all the schools teach you what to do in life, but experience teaches you what not to do in life. So that's when <laughs> I, I like, decided let me like jump that. in and let me take this opportunity. <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> definitely been my it's definitely been my experience it's um when you get out there and actually 
do you know you do management you do leadership and you go okay well <laughs> that doesn't work or you see something and you go i'm not going to do that it is so much about what not to do that's so true so it was it's been an interesting journey because my uh, what i've learned over a period of time the biggest management lessons or the leadership lessons you learn is actually on the ground and and i just to give you uh, an example, right? You know, we talk about courses, teaching in, in management school. I mean, I mean, of course, I did uh, a postgraduate diploma. I did my graduation. I did my postgraduate diploma. But at any point of time in education, I felt that I was getting schooled, but I was not getting educated. So I would rather prefer getting educated than being schooled. You know, schooled is like yes. a straight jacket and you'll, you'll be taught certain concepts, but <laughs> uh, seldom does one get an opportunity to apply those concepts. So that's something which I came across and, and, and then I decided, let me go back to school. Once I've had enough amount of experience, I thought, let me go back to school again. Now is the time to learn or structure what I've experienced and put a theory to it. And that's when I, I, I decided to do my management from London School of Economics. And, and it did bring in... Uh, the finesse you require uh, for being an entrepreneurial executive. So what I decided at that point of time in the last 15 years, look, I might not have the capital to build up an ecosystem or, 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 or an organization and build up a business of my own, but I can definitely be an entrepreneurial, mind, entrepreneurial mindset kind of an executive yes. who can run a business as his own business and make uh, sizable and effective uh, contributions. And that's what most of the shareholders. So I am a professional who handles the business for mm -hmm. others yeah. and uh, enjoys the fruits of that success along with the shareholders. Yes. So I, I, I turned my weakness of lack of capital into strength and mm -hmm. used my skill sets, which I've learned and the experience to, to lead and and i would say there's of course on, on a lighter note they say uh when you when you succeed you lead and when you fail you teach so <laughs> thankfully yeah. till now i've been able to lead yeah <laughs> and uh, and and i've always celebrated my failures that's something which one of my learnings is that uh, never be averse to your failures and uh, failures are the biggest teachers which which make you understand how better can you do the next time so the more you celebrate your failures the more likely are you to become a success story that's been my mantra for quite some time and uh, i've been learning from the the, the lowest person in the ladder I mean, i've yes. learned negotiation skills from my mother you know the way my mother used to go shopping and the way she used to bargain and negotiate for vegetables uh, with the street vendor in India and the way she used to bring in efficiency and she used to with the limited resources she had then she used to maximize the outcome. I think the best teacher is your mother in terms of, uh, uh, you know, negotiation, then optimization of resources when you come from a very middle, middle class family, you have limited income. So you that means you have limited resources. How do you optimize those resources and maximize the outcome and get this happiness? These are skill sets which you'll, I mean, which if I go back and just, you know, uh, kind of, uh, you know, think about it, then I realize that these are the schools which, which you get educated first, of course, then it is formulated into theories in different school and in, in different institutions and taught you as a strategy 
or a, a concept or a principle. But the learning starts pretty young. If you observe with normal people uh, who didn't have the privilege of going to these schools, they do have uh, inherent qualities which you can learn from. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love your perspective on learning. I think it's. I think you, you've explained that really well. And when it comes to decision making, I'm interested in how you made that decision to leave Sony because, like you said, it was such a risky decision to step away from just having that name on your resume and and just and just stepping out into uncharted territory what how did you make that decision to actually leave sony what was it about stepping out and risking it that that made you take that step and actually and actually try try going out and do something different uh you know it was not an easy decision to be very honest because i at some after working for an organization for six six and a half years i was doing a typical routine job with no enthusiasm and nothing. The only thing was good about a multinational is that and typically, typically Japanese multinational to be very honest or the East, East Asian or the Asian multinational wherein uh, most of the, the, the management decisions were taken at the top by the people of a particular like I used to work for Japanese companies so decision making was done by the Japanese, you were just the executors. Yes. And execution, there's no fun learning in that. So th there is a limitation of learning. And at some point of time, if you uh, get away from learning, I think that's the time you start deteriorating as a professional, as an individual. Mm. And as long as you have enough food for thought and enough uh, uh, for your brain cells to work and grow, because brain works with knowledge. Yes. knowledge acquisition comes it's not about repetitive knowledge it's about something which is innovative which is experimental which is uh, i would say expansive in nature which which makes your brain grow at that point of i realize in an organization of the repute of sony my presence or absence will not make a difference mm. so that's when i thought uh, if your presence or absence is not making a difference that means either you're the right person in the wrong organization or you're the wrong person in the right organization so either I need to change or the organization need to change. Yes. So that's when I tried that I need to activate myself and put me put myself into a territory which will be uh, not a comforting territory. Yes. Which will uh, force me to maximize to the potential I have and judge. So the only advantage I had is if at all this step is wrong, I always have time on my side. I can always relearn and revisit my decision. The most important lesson I learned in life is leadership is all about decision making. If yes. you, now the, whether the decision is right and, or wrong, history is going to tell you. Mm. But at that juncture, no decision is right or wrong till the time it has gone through a time scale. Mm. Uh, there can be momentary uh, impacts of it. There can be long term impacts of it. But his, let the history decide. Uh, on in terms of what the decision was but very important life is about decision making because the more you take decisions uh, and you don't hang of course there has to be an informed decision rather than uh, instinct every time instinctive decision making you need to have an informed so initially yes. you start off as an instinctive decision instinctive uh, uh, decision maker but as you grow in experience you tend to make informed decision making but decision making is important which I've learned. So take an action. Don't mm. sit on it. 
take an action. Uh, if you succeed, go on, uh, multiply it. If you fail, revisit it and take the next one. But keep taking your decisions. That's something which was a great learning, I would say. Until now, I've been following that from the core. Yeah, that's great, RJ. I, something you said earlier, which really stuck with me, is around celebrating failures. And I think stepping out and being willing to just make a decision and own your failures and learn from them. How did you learn to celebrate failures? And what advice would you give to leaders out there who want to embrace their mistakes and embrace their failures and learn from them. How do you do that? It was not easy. I'll be very honest, Jono, because the reason I did it and, and, and to be very honest, it's like, I'll give you an analogy for that. You know, if you're, if you're suffering from an ailment, hypothetically speaking, that I have an issue. If I don't recognize the issue, I will never go to the doctor. So first I need to acknowledge that I have an issue. And at any point of time, one needs to reach out to the concerned or the expertise or a third party. First, you need to recognize that I have an issue. So similarly, if, suppose tomorrow I have a health issue. If I don't recognize, no, no, it can never happen to me. Oh, I'm not, oh, I, I am very fit. I won't, I mean, I, I, mean, I cannot have a BP. I cannot have sugar, but I will refuse to go to the doctor. But once I acknowledge that fact, I'll go to the doctor and believe in that doctor, get my diagnosis done. At least I'll get to know what are my strengths, my weaknesses, which I need to correct, which I need to hold on to, which I need to be, uh, 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 which I need to refrain from. These are the things still you don't acknowledge that you will never be able to diagnose and find out a remedy and you cannot get a proper medication. End of the day for any problem, any issue, you need a proper diagnosis and a resultant medication for you to resurrect and and uh, go ahead in life so that's it 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 made me realize that by not recognizing i'm actually harming myself by the day nobody gets advantage of it the only guy who loses is me it stops my learning because if i don't recognize so that's when i thought that i need to accept this i need to dissect it uh, I would say, and then understand that next time ever, how can I improve on it and make sure that I don't repeat. So they say you can commit a mistake, but you're not allowed to repeat a mistake. Yes. So that's, that's something which, which I learned and I continue and I've never been, uh, you know, people normally don't discuss their failures. Uh, the more I, I discuss my failures, the more confident I am that, yes, I have beaten those failures and I have eventually succeeded. That means every time you fail doesn't mean that you're going down. It's like when you're stepping back, doesn't necessarily necessarily mean that you're going back. Yeah. At times you're getting prepared for a long jump. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> That's great. When you're stepping back, you're not necessarily just uh, taking a step backwards from your goal. You're actually just uh, preparing for a long jump. That's That's fantastic. I think this is something leaders really struggle with is to embrace their failures. I just want to encourage you in this because I, I think this is such a key. And I agree, the more you can talk about your failures, the more confident you become, uh, the more vulnerable you're able to be when you fail in the future. And you, you model that for your team. I bet it's helpful for your team that you're so open about, hey, I made a mistake there and I learned from that. 
because that then encourages them to model that out to copy that and actually to own their own mistakes absolutely of course one more thing which i've learned you know which i don't i mean i'm like to share is that one yeah. thing i've learned that when when you are a leader invariably what happens is uh, when you build a team there are two sets of uh, people uh, you know one is a leader who normally what will do is he'll he'll build up a team which is a replica of himself or he'll build a team which is below par as compared to his own skill sets which i i always believe that as a leader one should never do these two things because you don't need a replica in your team of yourself in your team because that's something you already have you need to have <laughs> something different true in terms of skill sets right so that restricts your learning so i don't i'm not i i'm not blessed that to that an extent that i know it all so if i have to continue my learning i need to have the most high iq level people who probably are who can challenge me to the extent which keeps me on the toes because i get to learn my cerebral uh, enhancement continues because uh, i have to be updated because i have to compete with them or at least i have to make sense that is point number 1 so uh, i one in terms of skill sets and knowledge i don't have to have a replica secondly the iq of the people in my team should be relatively higher as compared to myself uh, and leadership is not uh, about having a high iq leadership is about identifying the the skill sets needs uh, uh, the 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 intelligence the knowledge base information and integrating it for an objective outcome so that's something which which is very very important ingredient for any leadership to succeed you should be able to pick up and understand that who's best suited for a particular job yes. and uh, pick the best man for the best job Yeah that's so, fantastic. I think the focus on not having a replica of yourself and 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 on putting the right person in the job and finding people who are who are you know even better than than you and 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 can be experts in their area to come in and and be better than you as the leader. I think that's a really important philosophy for leaders to have. RJ, just as we wrap up uh, today's episode, did you have any final thoughts you want to leave with listeners? uh final thoughts there's there's something which uh i i'd like to give one quote uh, i i don't exactly remember who did say it, but but there's something which which uh, i always uh, have thought about is they say uh, both i mean optimism is something which is very important for for leadership and uh, looking at things from a different perspective and and uh, you know finding out an opportunity in a threat and converting your weaknesses into your strength is something which every leadership should have having said that there's a fame, what one needs to realize as a leader that everything is not not rosy rosy so you need to prepare for the worst and they say and both in an optimistic and a pessimistic are needed for the society the optimistic invented the plane and the pessimistic invented the parachute and so uh, from my perspective i add a line to that i said uh, that's brilliant the pessimistic won't have ever invented the parachute had the optimistic never invented the plane 
So that's something which one needs to realize and make a balance uh, and, and, and do, do look into the downside of everything and cut your losses. That's something which, which in leadership is very important that cut your losses and you need to move on because if you stick to something for too long, uh, there can be irreparable damages. So that's again a key thing in terms of decision making, which one as a leader should do. With that, mm. I think I'll rest my case and leave the floor to you. <laughs> I love what you said there, and I think optim <laughs> an optimist in invented optimism invented the airplane. Uh, pessimism invented uh, the parachute. I think that's. <laughs> That's going to stick with me. I might even, I think I'll put that out on social media as a thought out of this podcast because it's it's so true. We often just rule out pessimism, but you've hit the nail on the head there. It's important to have both views and that's why team is so important. Uh, well, thank you to our listeners. Appreciate you tuning in. I really believe today's episode is going to help you. And don't forget, you can check out our other podcasts, John o. White Leadership Podcast. That's a podcast where I give you content on all things leadership. And we also have the leadership question of the day where I ask you a different question every day around leadership just to help you grow in your leadership and to step out and be uncomfortable. Uh, but most of all, I just want to say a really big thank you for his generosity of time, uh, for his stories, which I thoroughly enjoyed, and for some fantastic leadership one-liners, which I'm going to go back and uh, I think I'm going to have to listen to another time. RJ Ganti, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, John. It was my pleasure. And thank you for giving me this opportunity to share my story and my thought process. I hope this can bring in some value to, to your listeners and, and, and some young minds out there. And if they can actually uh, bring in uh, better leaders I mean I'll be the happiest person thank you well I hope today's leadership question has helped you in your leadership and put a stone in your shoe. That's what, I, that's what I love to say is that my role, I believe, working with leaders is about putting a stone in your shoe. So something you were really comfortable with, now you're walking a little bit uncomfortably going, mm, is there a better way to do this? How do I handle this? And uh, that's because no growth is comfortable. So uh, I hope that's okay. I appreciate you taking the time. I don't take it lightly. And if you are just joining us, then make sure you check out our website, consultclarity.org consultclarity.org. We have so much free content on there for you, including the seven questions on leadership series. So more than 1,500 leaders around the world, different roles, different sectors have filled out the seven questions on leadership. In-depth answers on how they lead, what they've found most challenging, how they structure their time, what book or books have been most significant for them. There is so much gold on there. You could go and, and basically live in that part of our website for a few weeks, I think. Uh, so make sure you go and check that out. It's free. And hey, we would love to interview you for our uh, seven questions on leadership series. Your leadership based on your, uh, you know, your context, your life and your experience 
I believe that you can bring something that other leaders can learn from. I, I truly do. And so it's completely free to get involved. It's a great way to give back if you're loving this content. And you can do that by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and then click on the page, fill out the form to express your interest and we can get you going to fill out the seven questions on leadership. We also have a free resource on our website. It's right at the top, consultclarity.org on our homepage and it's called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook with interviews uh, from 10 world-class leaders and it's right there for you to download. It's completely free and awesome resource. It's very popular, so check that out. We also have a daily email, and I know that our more than 15,000 leaders who subscribe get a lot of value from that. We highlight the best content from our blogs, from our podcasts, uh, from our books and books we're reading. It also gives you exclusive and limited access and early access to our masterclasses and workshops. So uh, I really try to make it something as helpful and as valuable as possible. That's my commitment. And so go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe if you're interested in all things leadership and you can become part of that community. Now, my gift to you with everything we're doing, particularly with this podcast, The Leadership Question of the Day, is to work really hard to provide uh, the best leadership content to invest in you and your leadership. Your gift to me would be this. If you're finding this helpful, if this helps you in your leadership, then there is something you can do that makes a massive difference, and that is to write a review or rate our content. Wherever you're listening or watching, rate our content, write a review, make sure you subscribe or follow. It might seem small to you to do that, but it adds up and it helps us to help more leaders become the best they can be. It also means a lot to me personally whenever I see you sharing our content, so thank you so much for that. If you do share it on social media, then look for me, John O'White, and try to tag me and look for clarity and tag us. And I promise we are always looking for content shared by our community. When people share our content, we're looking to engage with you. And we, you know, there's also a chance that we may actually share what you write uh, as, a, as a post with our, with our followers. So if you do that, there's a chance you'll be shared as well. Last of all, you can check out my book called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because more than 50% of the leaders I coach, 50% of the sessions, sorry, where I coach leaders, this comes up again and again and again. And it's leaders saying, Jono, how do I deal with this difficult person? Or how do I deal with this person? And I'm finding it so difficult. We're just on a different wavelength. And that's because difficult conversations are uh, difficult. And I find this is one of the biggest challenges for leaders in the world today. And that's where Step Up or Step Out is a three-step process to help you deal well with difficult people. Uh, I really believe it's a book that can help you in your leadership. So go and check that out. It's on Amazon, Step Up or Step Out, John O'White, uh, if you just look that up. Or go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and you can get it there. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode of the Leadership Question of the Day next time. I hope today has helped you take another step towards becoming everything you're meant to be. We'll see you next time.